0: Coming up is my interview with Ben from America, who is a writer and game designer and currently in Sweden. Welcome to the Are We Home Yet podcast, where we talk to expats about what it's like living abroad, and they tell their stories, whether it's the struggles, the joys, falling in love, raising a family, managing a business in another country, and maybe still searching for that place they will one day call home. This is a place where you can listen, the guest and host will share, and maybe we'll all learn from these stories that we're all connected in what home means to each of us. I'm your host, Jalila Clark. Welcome to the show. All right. Hello, listeners. Thank you for returning to the Are We Home Yet? podcast. Today with me, I have the pleasure of interviewing Ben. Ben, so where do you live and how long have you lived there?
1: Uh, So I am speaking to you from Stockholm, Sweden. I've been here for about three months, so I'm just starting to get used to life
2: here.
0: Okay. And so tell us, what's it like living in Sweden? I did visit one time, but this was like, God, oh my goodness, like more than a decade ago. So tell us, what's it like living there? The food, the culture, the the environment, what's it like?
1: So right now I'm experiencing the downside of With Sweden, which is winter. Uh, Winter is very cold. Before I came here, everyone was raving to me about, oh my god, Swedish summer. It's the best (laughs) thing in the world. You're going to love it. And then I moved here in October, so that was really bad timing on my part. Uh, I still have summer to look forward to. Stockholm, Sweden in general, uh, the number one word I would use to describe it is pleasant. Things here are pleasant everything works everything is functional there's an extremely high standard of living yeah. uh, the food is good the people are nice all the systems work smoothly okay. everything is very efficient there's a, a high level of attention to design uh everything is very well considered
2: mm-hmm.
1: all of that everything just sort of works uh The downside is it can be a little hard to break into that. I've lived a lot of places. I've gone through a lot of bureaucratic processes. The arrival process to Sweden, once you get into the system, I'm assured that everything is super smoothly integrated and all that stuff. But the bureaucracy can take a little while to work through. Everyone in Sweden speaks perfect English. Mm -hmm. So as as an American with English as my native language, Mm -hmm. I don't need to learn Swedish to live here.
2: Mm -hmm. I'm
1: learning Swedish anyway. Uh, but it's a bit of a weird middle ground where like all the everything is printed in Swedish. You're never gonna find, you know, every so often you might find an English menu, but everyone you talk, so all the writing is all in Swedish, but anyone you talk to speaks perfect English and will happily explain anything, translate anything. Uh, you know, I've been out socializing where it's been me and seven Swedes, and they will all speak English the entire time we're hanging out just so that I don't feel left out, uh, which is quite a change of pace from other places I've lived. uh but yeah overall things here are the standard of living is extremely high Mm -hmm. the swedish government takes incredibly good care of its people for the most part uh you know union protections are great Mm -hmm. you get enormous amounts of time off you know you get 25 days off a year plus national holidays oh nice Uh, so (laughs) working conditions are extremely pleasant Mm -hmm. um The general Swedish attitude, you're well taken care of, you get lots of sick leave, Mm -hmm. you get good health care. You know, as an American, it is uh eye-opening often that just basic things are taken care of. Mm -hmm. So the overall Mm -hmm. stress level of Swedish society is very low because Mm -hmm. people don't have a ton to worry about. Mm -hmm. You know, you you don't have to worry too much about winding up homeless or paying off your medical bills or paying your student loans. Mm -hmm. Swedes are on the whole pretty chill people. So that's as an American used to the uh, high stress, complete collapse of American society, <laughs> uh, it's a nice change of pace.
0: Yeah, yeah. And then I'm sure like in some place like Stockholm, which is, you know, a major city, like you can have access to various kinds of food. So, you know, oh, yeah. like what what kinds of foods, you know, have you enjoyed there?
1: <laughs> uh, so I will, the all the restaurants near me are uh, Indian food, Italian food, and, generic Asian food. Mm -hmm. They all brand themselves as sushi, Mm -hmm. uh, but they also have lots of Chinese food and Korean food at all of these sushi restaurants. And like the one that I go to all the time is run by some very nice people from Beijing who are delighted that I can order in Mandarin because they don't speak much English. They speak Mandarin and Swedish. (laughs) And so they were delighted that I can order my poke bowl, a Japanese Hawaiian fusion dish, From them in Chinese. It's uh, sort of the most American moment, uh, the most global moment that I always have every week when it's like, I'm an American in Sweden ordering Japanese Hawaiian fusion food
0: in Chinese. (laughs) Okay. Um, Okay, so tell us, uh, so you mentioned that you're American, so that's where you're originally from. So tell us, how many different countries have you lived in?
1: I've been to a lot of different places. So I'm originally, as I said, from Berkeley, California. Mm -hmm. I grew up there. I come from a family of people who travel a lot. Like my dad was always traveling for work when I was young. So I did some travel. I did a lot of travel with my family, including six months in Paris when I was a kid. That was sort of my first taste of really living abroad. Mm -hmm. Uh, In high school, I studied abroad in Japan for two summers. Mm -hmm. Really loved that. And that was my first time living alone abroad uh and that was also very eye-opening and mind-expanding oh. my first time being old enough to experience another culture meaningfully and see what it was like to learn what i could from another culture in another environment mm-hmm. uh as a young adult i lived in uh, just outside Philadelphia and up to Boston, which coming from the West coast felt like another country. And then as an adult, I have lived in uh, Copenhagen, Denmark, where I was also splitting my time with Poland because the job I was doing had me going back and forth between Denmark and Poland. Uh, then I did just did two years in Beijing, which is where we met. Uh, and now I am in Sweden. So yeah. I was uh, been, been a few different places.
0: Yeah. Okay. So number one, I guess, I I guess I should ask first, like, what do you do for a living that, you know, that, that you are able to actually support yourself in each of these countries? And then what interests you about going to that, that next country? Like what, what is it? Besides, obviously there's like a job opportunity, like what interests you?
1: Yeah. So uh, I am a writer and game designer. Uh, for a number of years, I was doing freelance writing and game design, which was part of traveling. I could kind of work from anywhere and work from where my clients were, uh, but these days I work full-time in the video game industry, mm-hmm. and one of the things about working in the game industry is you do move a lot because there are game companies all over the world and game the game industry tends to be project-based, so you join a company for as long as the project is happening, and once the video game comes out, you move on and find a job somewhere else. So for a lot of people in the game industry, that's a huge downside to the industry because they have to uproot their life and move somewhere new. And especially if you have a family, that's really tough. Uh, But I love it. It's one of my favorite things about the game industry is that I always have, you know, every few years I get to go somewhere new and I get to uh, experience a new place. Mm -hmm. Because for me, I I have a lot of wanderlust Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not great at staying in one place. Even when I'm living in one place, mm-hmm. I travel constantly. I'm always going to go visit friends elsewhere, uh, see new parts of the world, go on adventures. For me, it's about understanding the world,
2: mm-hmm. that
1: I am insatiably curious. And again, this is something I think was instilled in me from a young age by my parents, who have, I mentioned also travel a lot, both for work and for pleasure. Mm -hmm. And they raised me to be curious about the world Mm -hmm. and to try to see what the rest of the world is like. Mm -hmm. As human beings, we only have our own perspectives. You know, we're limited to our own experience of the world. And the world is enormous. There are so many different kinds of people in the world. There are so many different ways of living. And as I travel, the more I travel, the more I get to know people from around the world the more I learn, the more I understand myself, the more I understand humanity, uh, and the more I see what options are out there. You know, when you grow up in one place, you're kind of limited to the scripts. That you grow up with, the way that your culture says, you know, this is what a family looks like. This is what a career looks like. This is what, you know, a healthy work life balance looks like. And if that's the only world you know, then that's your only option because you don't know what else is possible. Mm -hmm. And by traveling, by visiting other places, by seeing how other people live their lives, suddenly I had so many more options. Suddenly I had so many more ways of looking at the world of looking at art looking at nature looking at family uh breaking out of these sort of culturally constructed norms and seeing that that's not the only way to be happy that's not the only way to define success in a career in life and family Mm -hmm. and so the more i travel the more i see of the world you know it feels like it's selfishly i'm I'm doing it because i want to know everything Mm -hmm. uh i want to Understand everything and it helps me grow as a person. Mm -hmm. But also, the other big thing about it for me is then the people I get to meet. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm a very extroverted person. I love making friends everywhere I go. And so, being able to make friends with different kinds of people, people from different backgrounds, different cultures, different countries, is so rewarding. And the connections I have with these people, the ways that we can learn from each other and build meaningful relationships uh, and build these connections, it's just an endless source of joy and inspiration and meaning for me Mm -hmm. uh so that's my very like abstract hippy (laughs) dippy philosophical answer but it's true you know I'm I'm very curious I love people I love seeing new places I love exploring new parts of the world Mm -hmm. yeah I just I love it I never get tired of it and I'm sure maybe someday I will settle down quote unquote but I'm sure that even once I have a more stable base of operations mm-hmm. it'll be a jumping off point point. and I don't expect I will ever really stop traveling and stop exploring the world
0: yeah 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 definitely I I understand what you're saying when it when you're saying that yeah if you never before like thought Hey, look, you know, this can look different. Like having a family can look different. Living somewhere can be different. I mean, you know, I didn't move abroad from America until, let me see, I think it was like one week after I turned 41. Oh my goodness. I got some real flack from my family. Sorry, mom, but it's the (laughs) truth. I mean, you know, look, I love my mom, but you know, to be honest, she said, and I quote, you're too old that's for young people no yes she's like you need you need to settle down you need to have a stable life but you know you need a husband and, and a house and a and you know look i had once been married you know i mm-hmm. had once had a house i had once had like what was considered a really good career but You know, I still felt like this is not enough. You know, I'm not feeling Mm -hmm. fulfilled. And I didn't want, yeah, and I didn't want to keep going the rest of my life with that feeling. And I knew, I knew like I had always wanted to travel abroad. I didn't know like, you know, I'd be like on my third year of living in China. But I always knew I wanted to like travel abroad and like actually live in a different country and, and experience like something different and have an adventure. I know when I told people, people were really shocked. I mean, they didn't say what my mom said, but they were really shocked and they were like, (laughs) okay, you know, because it's like, who thinks of, I mean, because basically like my age is considered middle-aged, even though like, I don't necessarily look middle-aged, but it's considered middle-aged. And who thinks of just saying like, all right, I'm going to check it all and I'm going to go somewhere else where I don't know the language, Where which I was assuming like, oh, well, you know, how much English is spoken, obviously, to my ignorance. But it's like, you know, I'm going to go somewhere where, you know, I don't really know the language, the culture, the people, but I'm just going to start and go and, you know, just, I don't know, see how it goes. It's like, who does that in, in their 40s? Like, that doesn't really sound like the typical thing to do when, you know, you're in America. It sounds like, you know, you That sounds crazy, honestly. And, and it's been such, such a really fascinating experience because yeah, when I was in Beijing where I had met you, like I had told you before here, you were doing, you know, LARPing. So live action role-playing events. And this was a 1920s murder mystery dinner party that you had thrown. And here I was at that event in, in a, cafe in China and I'm an American and I'm meeting people from so many other places. And I'm just like, wow, this is an unbelievable experience that I'm having. This is, this is amazing. I mean, besides the point of, you know, seeing like the the great wall and you know what I mean? Like so many other amazing things that sometimes people don't get to see until they go on a two week vacation, you know, here I was living it. So yeah, it, it been, been a tremendous experience. Yeah. Absolutely. And
1: you are never, you are never too old to go off and do that, have that experience. You know, it's never, it is never the wrong time to just want something new uh, and to do your best to become the person that you want to be. You know, I hear, so I'm also, I'm I am queer and I spend a lot of my life in queer communities uh-huh. and it's that's we hear a lot of the same thing a lot in queer communities of people saying oh I'm too old to come out or you know I'm no. I'm too old to transition yes. and no that's never true I know yes. lots it is never too late to become the person that you want to be mm-hmm. whether that's someone that you knew from a young age you wanted to be or if you're only realizing now oh mm-hmm. I do want to change
0: mm-hmm.
1: it's never too late to act on that desire
0: yes uh, yes Yeah, definitely. So, you know, you've been to a couple of countries already. What's the visa process been like for each country?
1: So every country handles visas differently and the process is different. It also changes depending on what kind of visa you're getting. Mm -hmm. So coming to China uh, in most of these cases, like especially for China and Sweden, I've been coming in on a work visa. Mm -hmm. The process to get a work visa for China, not going to lie, real frustrating time-consuming you need to get a bunch of different pieces of paperwork Mm -hmm. uh you know a criminal background check a medical check Mm -hmm. your college diplomas and you need to get them all notarized Mm -hmm. translated into chinese mailed to china it took me about five months to actually go through the whole visa process okay uh in that yeah in that part it was not helped by the fact that my employer had never gotten anyone a visa before. I was the first foreigner they'd ever hired. Oh,
0: wow. Were, okay. Yeah.
1: So they were kind of <laughs> figuring it out as they went. And they were also like, we don't really know how this works, but yeah, they were very helpful. They tried their best. They were uh, super supportive throughout the process, mm-hmm. but none of us knew what we were doing. So we were kind of figuring it out as we went. Yeah.
2: Um, yeah.
1: But it worked eventually. I got there. Uh, and once I was there, once I did get in on the work visa, it was you know, you're there, you're pretty set. And it was easy to get it extended when it was time to, you know, when I was staying longer, totally fine. Uh, and again, my employer was super, super just helpful and supportive throughout that process, even though they didn't quite know what they were doing. And once you, once I got to China, there was a lot of, there was more paperwork to be done in China. There, there's some, you know, life in China, there's a lot of bureaucratic complications Everything in China runs on the Zheng system, uh, uh-huh. which I'm sure you've encountered as well, the uh-huh. national ID number. Uh-huh. And as foreigners, you can't get one. Uh, you just, you can't get a Zheng. Uh-huh. And some of the systems will let you use your U.S. passport. Some won't. Uh-huh. It's kind of up and down.
2: Uh-huh.
1: Um, Sweden, a little different. Sweden coming in, my employer hires a ton of foreigners Mm -hmm. and so they have like a whole system set up with the immigration service because the immigration like they have connections at swedish immigration so like i gave my employer here i was like here's my passport number here's a picture of my passport and they were like okay we'll take care of the rest and like two weeks later i had a visa and i did nothing they handled everything for me Mm -hmm. uh because they've done it a lot and they're they're very uh uh, familiar with the process and have connections so they could just take care of it all for me super quickly Mm -hmm. and i know that is not always the case in sweden i know of other people who did not have that kind of uh back channel access Mm -hmm. via their employer Mm -hmm. and uh, had a much more time consuming process getting a swedish visa Mm -hmm. um sweden then also has something like the national id system where you have a now an id number that integrates everything that is how you access like uh, the medical system and the banks and all that stuff mm-hmm. and foreigners can get it here in sweden mm-hmm. uh you can actually get access to that as long as you're a resident if you're going to be mm-hmm. here longer than six months you're mm-hmm. you qualify for a swedish id mm-hmm. uh but it is a slow process it is i just got mine yesterday mm-hmm. uh, it took me four months
0: congratulations uh, <laughs> thank you thank
1: you i'm excited to finally have access to the Swedish social mm-hmm. systems mm-hmm. Um, and that, that has been a slow process but it's been a very polite process
2: mm-hmm. uh, as,
1: as an American I'm used to like you know going to the DMV is, is a nightmare you know it's mm-hmm. always so mm-hmm. hostile and yeah. trying to figure out oh god what's all the paperwork what do I do uh, it's uh, you know everyone is so unpleasant that you talk to at the DMV um, whereas in Sweden everyone is super nice it might take like a month to process your paperwork, but they'll be very friendly about it uh-huh. and they'll happily explain what's going on to you in perfect English.
2: Uh-huh. So
1: uh, it's not a fast process getting into the Swedish bureaucracy once you're here, but everyone's super nice. Uh-huh. It's kind of a mixed bag. It's better in some ways, worse in other ways.
0: Uh-huh. Let's cut to a quick commercial break. Enjoying the podcast? Then support the podcast. Click here to donate in the show notes. And keep the cool interviews with guests from around the world going. Check out the blog for handy information about living abroad, and buy the ebook, a great guidebook for moving abroad. Find the blog and ebook at the website, arewehomeyetpodcast.com. Again, that's arewehomeyetpodcast.com. You can also donate on the website by scrolling all the way to the bottom and finding. The donate button. All right, back to the show now.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, yeah, the other yeah, the other time that I tried, I did actually in Denmark. My visa application got rejected because my mm-hmm. employer in Denmark was not paying me enough money, and the Danish government decided that it would not be that they were not willing to give me a visa because I just wasn't getting paid enough to work in Denmark. That was actually part of why I had to leave Denmark. Okay. so That is actually a a thing I would uh, say to be aware of is to be aware that not every, because work visas, generally you need a company sponsoring you Mm -hmm. and not every employer is above the board. And sometimes if a company promises you a visa, you know, I'm sure you've encountered Uh, people in China who are there on kind of sketchy work visas from English teaching companies that are promising. Oh yeah, yeah. We'll get you a real visa. Mm -hmm. Don't worry. Just come work for us. And I promise there'll be a real visa. Mm -hmm. So my, uh, my advice to expats who are, or would be expats is just double check before you, you know, sign a contract and go over with a company promising you a visa. Make sure you talk to some people who've done it before Mm -hmm. and uh, make sure that it's actually legit because there are some sketchy companies that will uh, bring you over on a tourist visa Mm -hmm. and promise that they will get you a real work visa when you get there Mm
2: -hmm.
1: uh, and might not so Mm -hmm. I think they're they're the exception most companies are uh, more legit than not but there are definitely some sketchy ones just double check do your Mm -hmm. due diligence especially before you give someone else your passport
0: yeah, yeah, definitely. What has job hunting been like? And do you feel like the, the skills you have or the the fields that you're in lends itself where the, the jobs feel secure?
1: Yes and no. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm in the video game industry. Uh, I am a game writer mm-hmm. and I make video games. So on the one hand, uh, I'm very lucky. The game industry is spread out all over the world. There are game companies just about everywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, job security in the game industry is hit and miss mm-hmm. especially as a writer it's often very much tied to projects yeah. so when i finish making a video game often that's the end of that work and i have to then go find a different video game to work on at a different company mm-hmm. uh, i've been lucky in the most in most of the companies that i've found in the last few years Uh, Have not worked, they wanted to keep me on after the project is over
2: Mm -hmm. uh, and
1: keep me around. So I've had a decent amount of job stability.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Uh, But in general, the game industry is very volatile. Projects shut down, often entire companies and studios shut down very quickly. Mm
2: -hmm. And
1: because the game industry is so spread out, people have to then pack up their whole life and move to a different city or a different country to find a new job. Mm -hmm. And for most people in the game industry, it's one of the bad things about the game industry. Mm -hmm. Is that you have to move for work constantly and it's hard to, you know, Mm -hmm. set up a family and put down roots. And it's often talked about in the industry Mm -hmm. as one of the huge problems with the industry is that everyone is, is that most workers are forced to move cities every few years. Mm -hmm. For me, it's a huge advantage because I like that lifestyle. I want to move (laughs) cities every few years. So like, I feel like I have an advantage over other people in the industry because, I'm willing to move, and so if I see a cool job on another continent, great, no problem. I'm happy to, I love it. Mm-hmm. Whereas for a lot of people, they're like, oh, I really want that cool job, but it's in Europe and I'm in Canada and I can't do that. And I'm like, eh, well, uh, you're not competing with me for that job, great.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, so mm-hmm. it's complicated is what I would say.
0: And what's job hunting like? So like, you know, where, where do you find these these assignments that will take you to really all kinds of places in the in the world?
1: So for me, it's just within the game industry. Uh, The game industry has its own sort of job hunting systems and websites that are fairly separate from the rest of... The job hunting systems
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh there's like and, and they're weird and insular there's not any one central place mm-hmm. because every game company does hiring differently mm-hmm. so it winds up being things like you need to know the right person on twitter to follow who will tell mm-hmm. you about cool jobs and mm-hmm. you need to be in the right discord server where the job the good jobs get posted mm-hmm. uh And a lot of it is a word of mouth a lot of it once you're in the industry it's a very insular industry Mm -hmm. so in my case i know other people in the industry and both Mm -hmm. of like the job that took me to china and the job that now took me to sweden Mm -hmm. both happened because i knew someone who was looking to hire a writer and a writer who fit my profile and knew that i was someone who was willing to relocate and so both times I had a direct connection with someone who said, Hey, I have a cool job, but it's in Beijing. Are you willing to move to Beijing? And I said, Hell yeah. Mm-hmm. And then again, hey, I have a cool job, but it's in Stockholm. Are you willing to move to Stockholm? Hell yeah. Yeah. So in my case, it was word of mouth. And so the game industry has just has its own systems that are not really generalizable to other industries, unfortunately.
0: Mm-hmm. 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 Okay. And so what's your day-to-day like?
1: So uh day-to-day varies wildly depending on the country of course
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh the big thing so i got very lucky in china in my workplace in that uh i found so the chinese tech industry tends to have not great working conditions you mm-hmm. hear about uh the 996 schedule oh, which yeah. is uh, being in the office 9 a.m to 9 p.m six mm-hmm. days a week Mm-hmm. and i knew i did not want that so when mm-hmm. i first heard about this job in china i was like mm, i don't know about that because i really i value my work-life balance very highly mm-hmm. um but then i interviewed with the company and they were like no no no, we're the total opposite of that we totally don't do oh, that okay so the company i worked for in china was the most relaxed daily office life i've ever had mm-hmm. um we were in the office 10 a.m to 6 p.m five days a week mm-hmm. with a two-hour lunch break um where people just like took uh, lots of people took naps my boss Mm -hmm. had a had a little fold-out bed that he kept Mm -hmm. under his desk that every day during his lunch break he would just unfold his little cot and take a nap for an hour Mm -hmm. um and so that was so i had a very uh very chill work schedule in beijing Mm -hmm. and then my day-to-day life outside of that was a lot like a in many ways a day-to-day life you might expect in any major global city i went out with friends i you know, hosted events at my apartment, had friends over to watch movies, went hiking on the weekends, uh, went out for karaoke a lot more than I probably would have in another city Mm -hmm. uh, because KTV is the best. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, went out and got dinner at restaurants or went out to bars, went dancing, all the usual stuff you might think. I'm an extrovert. I was hyper-social in Beijing. So my uh, day-to-day life was very, very, my social calendar was very, very full which is how I liked it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sweden, a little different, though also I should say it's not normal circumstances because there's a global pandemic. Mm -hmm. So my day-to-day life in Sweden right now is mostly I go to the office and then I come home from the office Mm -hmm. um, and I stay at my apartment because there's a global pandemic outside and it's Mm -hmm. not very safe for me to go to public events uh or go out to restaurants.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So my my daily life right now in Sweden is very quiet. Uh but again, work culture in Sweden, the, you know, in like I was saying in China, the work culture tends to be super intense, super long hours and I mm-hmm. just got lucky. Mm-hmm. Uh in Sweden it is totally the opposite. The work culture in Sweden is very 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 relaxed. Mm-hmm. Work-life balance is hugely important in Sweden.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: um in sweden you get a minimum uh guaranteed 25 days of pto a year
2: oh, um
1: no. <laughs> yeah in addition to like and that's on top of national holidays
2: mm-hmm.
1: um and you are strongly encouraged to take those days off
2: mm-hmm. you actually
1: get you get paid more for taking a day off
2: mm-hmm. they give you a wow. bonus
1: to your paycheck every time you take a day off mm-hmm. um to encourage you to use it and also to make sure it's to give you some extra money to spend on your time off mm-hmm. um so it's uh, it's a very relaxed approach to work uh work is very sort of egalitarian here they're big on flat hierarchies and meaningful feedback and you know uh, yesterday i got lunch with the head of my whole company or the head of my whole uh location just we wound up sitting next to each other in the break room at lunch and had a fascinating conversation about like the structure of the criminal justice system in sweden versus the us and uh he was somewhat horrified to learn mm. just about how much racism there is in american policing but that's a whole different conversation than i imagine mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you would have a lot to say about given <laughs> your background mm. um but anyway so it's it's a very different work environment it's very relaxed uh mm. very friendly um But beyond that, I don't have a lot of experience of daily life in Sweden outside because there's a pandemic, so I can't go outside much right now.
0: So then what what was the difference in your your quality of life in the countries that you've lived in so far? So like cost of living and safety.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Uh, So safety is a huge one.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Beijing, it's just... Uh, so much safer than the U.S. Mm And I just felt so safe living in China in the sense of uh, I was never in any physical danger because Mm -hmm. physical violent crime is just so rare in China. Mm -hmm. Um, Every minute of public life is surveilled in China. You know, there's cameras everywhere. The government always knows what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so on the one hand, you're not in any danger from other people. Mm -hmm. uh the flip side of that is you have no feeling of privacy from the government and there's no attempt to hide that they're very open about it and to be honest in the U.S. you also don't have any privacy it's just the big tech companies that are watching you and they're lying to you about it Mm -hmm. so I felt just as safe from you know like I didn't feel that the privacy in China was worse than the lack of privacy in America it was just Mm -hmm. different Mm -hmm. um and then Sweden, also super, super safe. I feel so incredibly safe in Sweden. It's there, There's so little crime here. There are no guns here. Mm-hmm. There are really no weapons here. You know, the there's minimal police presence. And when they are, they're sort of public safety officers. Mm-hmm. I'm not worried about getting shot by them the way that I would be in the US.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And it's, it's just, everything is very polite. There's a high level of civil society, mm-hmm. I would say. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other really big thing that I notice both in china but way more so in sweden is that there's a social safety net here Mm. uh so if you get hurt you can just go to the doctor and go to the hospital and it's taken care of Mm. you don't have to worry about do you have health insurance Mm. can i afford to call an ambulance Mm. uh you know if you're uh, there's unemployment insurance here if i get sick I have, I can take as many sick days as I need and the government will pay and make sure I'm okay. Mm
2: -hmm. Uh,
1: Similarly in China, you know, during the pandemic, when I had, you know, when I had to quarantine alone in my apartment and couldn't Mm -hmm. leave, I knew that like there were community officers who would bring me food and Mm -hmm. take care of my needs if I needed something. Mm -hmm. So there's an actual sense of society that takes care of you and that the government is actually there to make sure that you're okay mm-hmm. that i've experienced in both the u.s both in china and sweden that mm-hmm. it is not at all the case in the u.s so i feel way safer and way more supported uh, and i really see it in my friends that i've made over here in scandinavia who are locals like the level of anxiety that they have
2: mm-hmm.
1: is just so different mm-hmm. and the things that they're worried about like there were even my younger friends who are like in their early to mid-20s, mm-hmm. they're worried about like, will I find meaningful fulfillment in my career?
2: Wow.
1: How, you know, how do I feel about uh, my impact on the glo- on global society and what I'm doing with my life? And, mm-hmm. you know, do I really want to build a family? And what is the most meaningful, optimal family structure for me? Like, yeah. these are the things that they're worried about. And then like my friends in the US are worried about like, can I pay rent this month?
0: Yeah. Do
1: I need to take a third job so that I can buy insulin for my mom who's dying of diabetes? Like just the scale of anxiety is so different. When will I pay
0: off this crushing student loan debt is what I've heard from some people as well.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Whereas in Sweden, uh, you get paid to go to school. Mm -hmm. so you know you for every college course you take you get a government stipend Mm -hmm. and so and and if you take enough of them to be a full course load then that's enough to pay your rent and live off of Mm -hmm. uh so it's you you don't really don't really do student loans in the same way here Mm -hmm. uh so it's more like oh do i want to go back and take some more courses and something new Mm -hmm. i could study something that could be fun and or maybe you know i'm enjoying my current career but i'm curious about another career Mm -hmm. maybe i'll sign up for some university courses and see what i think about it. Mm -hmm. uh yeah just the the scale of people's worries in scandinavia are so 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 different and it just feels like society functions in a way that it does not in the u.s so
2: uh and
1: and like for raising a kid oh my god There's everything. things are taken care of for you, Mm -hmm. there are safety nets in place to make sure that your child is taken care of and has a good education,
2: Mm -hmm. uh,
1: has all their medical needs taken care of,
0: Mm
1: -hmm. uh, that just in the US, you're kind of thrown to the wolves.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah, definitely. I mean, even in China where like insurance you know is is necessary still, but if you go to the hospital like it's not it's not like this exorbitant thing that so overwhelming so so then you would make the decision like, ah oh, well, maybe not <laughs> yeah it's right. it's not right. like that, yeah, definitely not yeah. like that.
1: Yep, I mean, um, I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. I have a, I have a backlog of medical things that I didn't go to the doctor about while I lived mm-hmm. in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And then I didn't, I didn't also didn't go in China because uh, they were, they're weird, complicated issues, and I didn't feel like trying to get them translated into Chinese. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now I'm finally in Sweden,
2: mm-hmm. where I
1: have access to an amazing medical system, and the doctors speak English, so I have like a whole backlog of things that I never went to the doctor about in the U.S. That I'm like, mm-hmm. finally, I'm gonna deal with them here in Sweden.
0: Yeah. How do you deal with missing family and friends? It's very difficult to travel around the world like we once did. So how do you deal with that?
1: I mean, it's rough. I'm not going to pretend it's not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is. Uh, it's it's sad uh, times. And you do really miss people a lot. Uh, so you schedule Zoom calls. You send emails. Uh, when I was in China, I was writing blog posts regularly because I have okay. A lot of friends and family all over the world, and trying Mm -hmm. to video chat with all of them would just take up all the hours of my day. Mm -hmm. So, I would write long blog posts every week or two that everyone Mm -hmm. could read, saying, "Oh, see what see what I'm up to." Feel like I'm Mm -hmm. still alive. I haven't just vanished. Mm -hmm. Uh, But also part of it for me is, I make new friends in the place that I am because then I'm focusing my energy on here are the friends that I have right here and now. And of Mm -hmm. course, I miss the friends who are not around. Mm -hmm. But if I'm putting all of my energy into thinking about people who aren't here, then I'm just going to be sad all the time. Mm -hmm. And so I try to instead, you know, of course, save some energy for keeping in touch with distant friends and loved ones. But most of my energy goes into trying to make new friends in the place that I am and Mm -hmm. make sure that I have a social life in the place where I've arrived Mm -hmm. uh, to Mm -hmm. balance out the the sadness and the loneliness with happiness.
2: Yeah.
0: yeah. So it's,
1: it's not easy. I'm not going to pretend it is, mm-hmm. but that's, that's how I choose to approach it. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. So then the next question is, you know, since you've lived in many places, what is your definition of home? And do you feel mm. you were able to create a sense of home in each place or if not, you know, what was lacking? Um Yeah
1: so that that is uh my definition of home has changed a lot over the years Mm -hmm. uh in part so i spent a number of years almost fully nomadic where Mm -hmm. i basically didn't have a home uh when i was freelancing and living out of a suitcase uh and doing just couch surfing traveling going from i was running these uh, live action role-playing events all over the world and so i was just traveling from event to event. And it would be like, well, I know, I know I need to be in Poland to run an event in a castle in three months, but I don't know where I don't have any plans between now and then. So I'll just couch stuff around Europe. And so at that point, it felt like home was uh, wherever I unpacked my bag that night.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but what I found really meaningful, and throughout that time kind of kept me sane, was finding little havens finding little places, usually with a friend uh, on a friend's couch or somewhere where I could just unpack a little bit, not never unpack much and just have time to myself, Mm -hmm. just sit down with, you know, my laptop and catch up on Twitter and decompress for a little bit. Mm -hmm. So home to me is the place where I don't feel the pressures of the outside world. Mm -hmm. Home is the place where I can go and just relax you know flop down on the couch and switch my brain off for a little bit and decompress Mm -hmm. and as someone who has traveled a lot i've had to learn to find those places where i can Uh, i don't have you know it hasn't been a oh i i have my apartment that i always go back to i have the house that i grew up in things like that i i do have the house that i grew up in where my parents have lived and going back and visiting there is always lovely but home has to be a place i bring with me Uh, home has to be a feeling Um, and I don't always, I can't always find that, you know, it, it, if I'm, it's not always easy, I'm not going to claim that it is. Mm -hmm. Um, and so the other place that I find that sense of home is with the people I meet, Mm uh, and making connections and finding people who I connect with and who I can unwind with and really have meaningful conversations with, uh, who can help me feel settled and like i have uh people that i can trust Mm -hmm. people that have my back Mm -hmm. um which again it depends on where i am in my life and where i am in the world how much i have that feeling um but it's it's something that's that i work towards but home is home is a feeling uh home is not a place for me at this point and I'm okay with that.
0: And so, you know, what are some things that you do since you've lived in many different countries? And presumably it's not like you you already know someone in that country. How do you find those people you can connect with? How do you find, you mentioned the queer community. How do you find resources like a community? How do you do that?
1: So that's, that is one of the big challenges. Uh, And it varies a lot depending on where you are in the world. Mm -hmm. Um, And the trick in my experience has been to find the local communities mm-hmm. uh because there are they do exist wherever you are in the world people form community mm-hmm. your hobbies you follow your passions you find the things that you're interested in and you look for the people that you have things in common with you know you i'm a big old nerd so i look for you know where are the people who play dungeons and dragons where are the people <laughs> who uh, are super into comics is there a local bookstore where people gather mm-hmm. uh, are there local organizations mm-hmm. uh, i mentioned i'm queer is there a local queer bar is there a queer community are there queer dance parties mm-hmm. uh i can i find people who are themselves queer and can help me sort of navigate the world so A big part of it is just asking questions you know finding one or two people who kind of know the lay of the land Mm -hmm. and can help you get your help you get oriented help you figure out where are the people where are your kind of people often a good way to do that is through fellow expats like the easiest time i've ever had making friends was in beijing Mm -hmm. in the expat community because the expat community of beijing is pretty small it's pretty uh pretty tight-knit there's not a lot of expats in beijing Mm -hmm. and so and everyone's been through that experience of being the new kid at town Mm -hmm. and so everyone knows what it's like and everyone knows that kind of initial loneliness Mm -hmm. and so once you get over that initial hurdle of making a few making a few new friends meeting a few people uh then they will help you get oriented like when i got to beijing it was like a matter of weeks i was like okay here's who i am and people were like oh cool so you the nerds are in this group and the writers are in that group and yeah. here's the queer group here are your people so i found my people so fast in beijing mm-hmm. it was miraculous and magical yeah. um and stockholm is a little little slower i'm not going to lie uh, cuz <laughs> Sw- swedes are famously introverted Uh, Mm -hmm. and swedish social circles are notoriously hard to break into Mm -hmm. so i've mostly uh befriended fellow expats and people i already knew from the larping community and from my time in denmark
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Uh, but i'm i'm working on it i'm making progress the other thing that i that i do that i really recommend is events Mm -hmm. is if you can find events in your language is the important part there uh going to regular events so like in beijing i went to a trivia night and i went to this trivia night every tuesday for my entire time there i wound up hosting it sometimes Mm -hmm. uh i gathered a team and it was great to have this sort of neutral event space where it wasn't i didn't have to reach out to people one-on-one and say like hey let's get dinner um I could just say you know when I met someone cool I could be like hey why don't you come join me and my friends for trivia night Mm -hmm. and other people brought their friends and I could connect with people at trivia night Mm -hmm. and it was very low stakes uh and a casual way to get to know people then I started organizing my own events you know how we met was through uh NaNoWriMo Mm -hmm. the writing events that I was helping run and reaching out to other writers and just inviting people to hang out and be productive together, having writing time. And that was a great way to meet people.
2: Mm-hmm. So
1: events are my sort of my, my secret go-to of uh, going to events. And if you can't find an event that is what you're looking for, organize your own events.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: when you are the one who is the host, everyone wants to come talk to you. Yeah. And it's a, it's a great way to kind of put your name out there and have people be like, oh yeah, that person, they, they run the events and they're the person to talk to for this stuff. And once you uh, can start to get that ball rolling. Mm-hmm. It can be, uh, it, it can be a sort of a self-perpetuating friend friendship cycle that you're hosting events, and so people, more and more people come to your events, and you meet more and more people. Uh, but you got to be pretty extroverted to make that happen.
0: Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, I agree. Yeah, because you know in Shanghai like there were several things that I had enjoyed in Beijing that I was missing here like you know I I didn't find a sci-fi club, you know, they didn't have of uh, spittoon the the storytelling where you could tell like a story live yeah. to an audience. So I was like, well, I guess I got to create that you know, now. And yeah, that definitely helped. And I did that for like my first year here in Shanghai. I mean, now I need that time to like do other things like have a podcast. <laughs> but yeah, that definitely helped me meet a lot of people Uh, Network connect not just expats, but also locals because lots of locals were like, Oh, wow, how cool! You know, I want to come, I want to listen to stories, or I want to practice English and tell a story. And I'd be like, Great, no problem, see you there. So, yeah, that definitely helped as well. So, let me just leave off with maybe like a question or two. So, what was dating like then in any of the countries that you've lived in? Say, you know, you could start with Sweden, or if you want to start with China. What has dating been like? Because I'm single as well, and I know what dating has been like in China. <laughs> sometimes good, sometimes not so good. But yeah, what, what was your experience?
1: I mean, it's complicated. Uh, it always is. Uh, dating is never simple anywhere.
2: Mm-hmm. But
1: I think there's a, there's sort of a, a, a there's two very different sides of dating,
2: mm-hmm. in my
1: experience, uh, as an expat abroad, mm-hmm. which is dating fellow expats. And getting involved with fellow expats mm-hmm. where there is often a feeling of uh you know on the one it's it can be pretty easy uh, because uh, it can be mm-hmm. because you always have something in common of the expat experience of yeah. we have we've both done this crazy thing we both left our home countries and even if we don't have a lot of shared hobbies we can bond over this we have this same sort of shared lived experience mm-hmm. uh and this sort of adventurous instinct that we were willing to do this mm-hmm. uh the flip side is that comes with the strong sense of, uh, impermanence, mm-hmm. you know, in serial, in expat communities, there's always the sense of, well, we're not going to stay here forever usually. Yeah. And so whatever we build together, uh, it's kind of temporary. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there's not a lot of, um, it's not a lot of commitment in expat communities,
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, due to just sort of the logistics and practicalities of living abroad and being an expat.
2: Mm-hmm. There
1: is some, I certainly know plenty of expats who've gotten married to each other and, have built wonderful families in countries that neither of them came from originally.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, so there's that side of sort of the the expat dating world.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, the other side is getting involved with local people, which depends a lot on what country you're in. You know, here in Sweden, it's not particularly notable because it's a very international country. There's a lot of international people in Sweden. And so being a foreigner is not notable.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, no one, Pays that much attention whereas in beijing as a foreigner there was a level of sort of people saw me uh as someone different as uh exotic and mm-hmm. so there was some i some of the local people i got involved i did experience some uh almost fetishization of mm-hmm. people being like "Ooh, i've never been with a foreigner before oh yes, I, this I know that. <laughs> yeah this is exciting yeah i'm sure you have i'm sure you've experienced that um and you know, sometimes that can be flattering, but also it, it doesn't really feel like you're being seen as yourself. You're just mm. being seen as an experience. Yeah. Uh, so it has its ups and downs. Mm. Um, and my sort of attitude is always just have fun. I try not to worry too much and life on the road being a habitual expat is both a, uh, an experience of constantly meeting new people so you're, if, you're, if you're always leaving somewhere, you're always saying goodbye, but you're always meeting new people. Mm-hmm. Uh, people come and go from your life and you make peace with that. You enjoy the people who you have in your life for as long as they're there. Mm-hmm. You enjoy the time that you have. You don't dwell on the fact that it's gonna come to an end sooner or later.
2: Mm-hmm. You
1: just enjoy what you have for while you have it. And then you look forward to what's next. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah I don't know, that's kind of my attitude and philosophy.
0: Okay. Well, I like that. I like that. All right. So we'll end there for today. And uh, so, you know, thank you so much, Ben. For- Absolutely. Happy to. Thank to you for to. having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Um, you know, it really was such a cool experience meeting you in Beijing. And you know, that that's like the great thing about being an expat, you meet so many people and think about it, like, I mean, obviously, we lived in America, but in different places and different times. But oh, yeah, think about how like we met. You know what I mean? Two Americans, like <laughs> in the same place, and you know, it—it's just—it—it it just really like makes you realize that, like. There's so much more out there than like you ever imagined that you could possibly have experienced at home.
1: I just, I want my last words to people, I guess, is to encourage people to say yes to adventure.
0: Yeah. Once
1: you say yes to leaving your home, to going abroad, to going elsewhere, even just to another city, Mm -hmm. it opens your eyes to the potential. And once you say yes to the first adventure, it's so much easier to say yes to the next one. Yeah. yeah. And once you build that network of people all over the world, now you have those connections. And, you know, if you ever come to Sweden, you always know you've got a place to crash with me.
2: Okay. Uh, Cool.
1: And so once you make those connections, you keep adventuring and you keep seeing more and more of the world.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, then we're going to leave off there today. And I hope my listeners have a great day. And I hope you have a great day as well, Ben. I look forward to everyone listening in to the next episode of Are We Home Yet? podcast, a podcast for current expats to talk about what it's like living abroad, making a home, the struggles, the joys, and also this is a source of inspiration and guidance and know-how for future expats on how do you live abroad, where do you go, how do you meet friends? How do you actually say, I, I'm going to use your words, yes to adventure when honestly you don't know what might be out there, okay? So with that, everyone have a great day. Thanks so much. Bye. My next interview is with Emily from America, an educator currently in the UAE. I hope you enjoyed the show. Remember to hit subscribe and to stay updated, head over to are we home yet podcast.com. I'm Jalila Clark. See you next time.